You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is BaptistChurch.com. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 20, uh, chapter 22, verse 6. So while they're doing that, Proverbs chapter 22, passage we've looked at often, and it always comes to bear uh, when, it, when it comes to seeing children come to Christ. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, the book of Proverbs is written by a man by the name of Solomon. Solomon is considered to be one of the wisest men that has ever walked the earth. And uh, in this case, Solomon as often would give advice that he himself maybe should have been mindful of. But Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train a child in the way they should go when, they're, or when they are old. They will not turn from it. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you and we love you. We give you glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I'm not going to keep you long. But I really believe that God gave me a word for you today. And I want you to listen, parent, grandparent, I want you to listen very, very closely. Because I believe, whether we're looking at the children and the, and the teenager and even the adult, whether we're looking at people coming to Christ, if you're a parent here, you want your children to be the best, right? Think about it. You know, we love for children to get some of those accolades, best dress, most popular cheerleader, most athletic, football, baseball, soccer, basketball. We love, we, love to, we love to be that parent on the sideline that, you know, shouts, jumps up, claps. We, we love to point our boy out or point our girl out. That, that's my son there and kind of look around, you know, if a home run's hit, uh, I, you know, you want to go and get the ball and, and hold on to it. Uh, Jeffrey and Megan were gone last weekend and Sheila and I were keeping the boys I find out why young people have children and old people don't but anyway uh, in August by the way August took my towel so I felt still a little bit damp Ledge said dad I'm sorry August grabbed your towel so when I got my towel it looked about it had been uh, soaked but anyway, we were, we were keeping the kids, and, and uh, I went into Jeffrey's office, and it just looked horrible. I mean, it just looked like absolute chaos. And I thought, I'm going to get in here and sh- straighten this office up. And so I began to sort those books out, putting those books, shelving them, trying to find some kind of system. And at a certain point, I looked up, and there on a shelf were trophies, now, Jeffrey was a baseball star. He was a baseball player. So I looked up there, and a bat was broken off, and a hand was broken off, and this trophy had been uh, decapitated, and, 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 I, and, I, and there were more trophies. And I picked those up, and I found a place, and I just threw all those trophies up there, and I thought about all those times that we went to those baseball games and how often we watched them and how we'd get so much into a ball game, and you know, and... How I'd have to, man, I sat out in left field. Because, uh, uh, you know, a preacher, you just can't lose your witness. And uh, so I'd sit out there because I was going to talk to the umpire. And I was going to call every, I was going to call it, 
I'd, I'd call every ball strike. So, you know, but I looked up at there, and in that moment, it was a parent moment. It was like God said, how many people live their life for their children to get these things when in the end it won't amount to nothing? And uh, boy, it was, a, it, was a, it was a theophany of sorts. And I thought to myself, you know, as a parent, we, we want our kids to be the best, don't we? Uh, we want them to be, but what does the best mean? What does that mean? And I'm going to give you four, what I believe are four clear rules for just that little acrostic, that word best. And I want you to know something. We had planned to do the Lord's Supper. I kept agonizing, and God just kept saying, I've got a quick message I want you to give these parents. Okay, so I want you to listen closely. Because each one of those letters in the word best stands for something. And the first one is B, and that stands for boundaries. Now, I want you to understand this. Parent, that if you don't establish boundaries in the life of your children, even when they're small, you can get ready because they get in the teenage years, they're going to put you through a literal hell on earth. Right? And you know, if you, have, uh, if you can't understand boundaries, you've heard me do this, but these, these, pew, these chairs, they're in rows. And so think about, think about boundaries where Sheila's sitting there, where Graceland is. Think about those two rows there, and you're a parent, and you're raising your child, you're leading your child, and you've got these boundaries, and those boundaries, your goal, your purpose. And let me ask you something, parent. Do you have a purpose statement about parenting? Hey, is yours to be the most popular? Is yours to be a cheerleader? Is yours to be an athlete, a sports hero? Let me tell you how quickly that will fade and be gone. Even Tom, Lan uh, Tom Brady's learning that, right? You know, the greatest of all time, GOAT. You know, sooner or later, it's over. And then what happens next? He's been in and out of relationships. His life often has seemed, we've, I've seen him even crying here lately. Why? Trying to navigate life after ball. So you're a parent, you've got boundaries, and those boundaries, your purpose, your goal, what you want to achieve is for your child to grow and become a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, and become a productive citizen. You want them to make a difference in the world. You want their life to count. You know, often I say this, Van, I thought about your dad. I remember the last time, August, his, his great-grandfather came to this church. He came, your mom and dad came, and at the end of it, and the reason I bring that up is because Megan's, Megan's grandfather was a Baptist preacher. Ledge, my son, said this. He said, the funeral of your dad was one of the most life-changing moments in his life. He was a pastor by nature. He had a kind countenances. He was very attentive to your mom as she was in a wheelchair. And he, he, he was both of them struggling with their health. But he was such a picture, an example, a model of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I have his notes. And sometimes I'll send those notes. I'll, uh, Marianne, I, I do this sometimes. I'll see something he wrote, and I'll send it to Megan and, and say, your grandfather said this, and I 
and I want you to know what he said. You see, children need boundaries. They, they need to, and those boundaries, parent, need to be communicated and they need to be understood. And listen, parent, if you don't enforce those boundaries, you might as well not have them at all. So you've got to establish boundaries. What's what right? What's wrong? How we behave? How we act? How we treat others? You have to establish those boundaries while all the while training up a child in the way. And Jesus said, I am the way. So you're training them up, pointing them to Christ because you want them to be a kingdom. You want them to be a kingdom citizen run, operating their life according to kingdom principles, the, the word of God, Right? So, parent, you need boundaries. Secondly, let me tell you what these kids need, even these, these, these young ones. You know what they need? They need an example. You know, I remember when I was a boy, my dad would be walking along, and, and, and I, I, I love my dad. My dad was a, Na, a NASA engineer. My dad was a brilliant man, one of the most brilliant men I've ever known. And my dad would be walking, and, and all of a sudden, I'd be, I'd be right in his footsteps. In fact, I'd run into the back of my dad sometimes. So I quit following so close. But, and and, he, and I remember as a kid, I'd take those steps, trying to put my feet right where he had picked his foot up. But every once in a while, my dad would be going along, he'd stop and do this. And I'd look at him, and I'd hear him coughing in the morning. Soon, my dad had cancer. They, my dad is cut. He has a scar from behind his ear all the way down his neck, all the way down here where we waited while he had cancer surgery. And I, I, even as a kid, I'd be, I'd be doing that. But when my dad smoked a cigarette, you know what I did? I jumped over like this. I said, man, I don't want that. You see, children need an example. They need a mentor. They need a model. They need somebody that they can look at and say, you know, I want to be like him or I want to be like her. Now, let me tell you, Hollywood's offering them a lot of models. Let me tell you, sports is giving them a lot of people to look up to. And now, parent, you've got another problem. You know what your problem is? Your problem is this right here. It's a whole new power, authority in their life. They have the ability, your sons, when testosterone hits at its highest, it's 17 years of age, they can pull up hardcore porn. And let me tell you, parent, most of them are smarter than you are when it comes to this. So you're battling like you never have battled before. And there's all kinds of examples. The LGBTQ movement today, people say it's genetic. People give all kinds of reasons why they believe there's an up, uh, upswing in the, in, in the LGBTQ community. But do you know what the number one contributor is? 14-year-old girls. And do you know what the contributing factor is in those teenage 14-year-old girls? This right here and the ability to be accepted and to be wanted even in their sexuality and what they believe is their sexual makeup. Kids need examples. They need somebody to follow, somebody to mentor their life after. And parent, listen. When those children are small, it is your responsibility to point out those examples, those mentors, those people that they can look to and follow. I want to be like that man. I want to be like that woman. Parent, listen to me closely, young parent. Many, 40 plus years, often you've heard me say this, you go to a funeral of an old man, an old woman, let's say an old mama, grandmother, great-grandmother. 
and you'll see that mama, she'll be laying there in that coffin. Funeral director come in and you say, friends and family, could I have your, uh, uh, your attention? Friends, if you would proceed by the coffin and then we're going to ask you to then go to the chapel. Family, if you'll wait for a moment and those friends will file by, they'll go out, there'll be tears, and then finally there'll be the family, it'll be extended family, and then finally it's always this, mama's there, and in that moment there'll be those sons and daughters there. Daughter may lean over and kiss her mom. Son may lean over and... I've seen sons reach over and grab their mama and hug her dead. Hug her and say, Mama, I love you. I love you, Mama. And they'll sit there and, they, and they'll start talking. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll look at... What are the sons that say? You know, Mom always had a way of burning toast. Every time, even to, Henry Blackaby said that of his mom. One of them looks and say, you know, Bob, always, if anybody could burn toast, Mama's going to burn toast. She'd put toast in the oven. She'd get distracted, and before long, it, they're everywhere, all would go, Mom, you're burning the toast. And the daughters, all the siblings begin to laugh, and they'd have, listen, they would start, they'd be crying, but they'd be laughing around there, and then everybody listened. There would come that moment when the funeral director comes in, and he says, hey, Family could have your attention. We need you to say your, listen to this, your final goodbyes and proceed to the chapel. Gut-wrenching. And you as a pastor standing there watching them as they're saying their last goodbye. And then they leave out. But this is always what gets me, mom and dad. And it's worth, it's worth everything. for a child to look and go, that's the greatest woman I've ever known on the earth. That's the greatest man I've ever known on the earth. And then they walk out. Kids need an example. They need a mentor. They need you, grandparent, parent, mom, dad, uncle, aunt. They need you. They need somebody to model their life after, to look at, and to say, "That's you my mom used to have them old patterns. I don't even know if they do that anymore. You remember the patterns you could buy? You remember you lay that old, that old brown-looking paper out, and she'd be, oh, she'd be cutting all that out, and she'd make a shirt, and them shirts looked horrible. I, I would just go, oh, God, mom's making me a shirt again, you know? Sheila did that one time. I was an officer. I was an officer at Fort Sam Houston in, in uh, San Antonio, Texas, and Sheila got a, she wanted to learn to sew, and she bought one of those and made me a shirt. Folks, I promise you, it looked like you took two pieces of material, put it together, and, she ha and it was a red shirt on top of that. She's laughing, and it had a drawstring at the bottom of it. Now, I was at that time about 200 pounds of what I thought was bad news. But it's hard to look like bad news when you've got a big red shirt on that looks like a blind woman made it with a big drawstring hanging on it. But let me tell you, those patterns that you see cut out, that's what kids are looking for. That's what they're looking for. And that S, what does that S stand for? It, it does, salvation comes when you're putting those boundaries and you're pointing them to Christ. You see, Brittany, I don't know what Bonnie will be, but Bonnie may one day be a pediatric cardiologist. 
Bonnie may be an ambassador to China. We don't know what Bonnie will be. We're just getting those boundaries and pointing her toward Christ and teaching her those kingdom principles all the while watching her grow. We're being an example. Somebody she mentor. And then this, listen. The S is sanctification. We're in the process of, listen, let me tell you what. You know what all these parents do? Let me tell you what parents do all the time. This 40 plus years, they almost look like they're troubled that their child may be thinking about salvation. I don't know if they're ready yet. Uh, you know, they don't understand Calvinism. They don't understand what it means to be Arminian. Uh, I don't know. They don't know some of the denominational jargon. They don't know some of the theological language. We expect children somehow to have this unbelievable understanding when in reality, look at me, it's just simply a child looking and saying, I think I need Jesus. In fact, I need Jesus. That's all they know. Some children will look up at that right there and they'll see their friends. They'll see Titus or August or Elam. They'll see somebody standing up there. Some little boy, some little girl looks up and says, that's what I want to do. And they'll, well, what's going on in your heart? I don't know what necessarily is going on in my heart, but something inside of me is telling me that's what I need to do. That's what I need to do. Sanctification is salvation and it's growing and maturing children to spiritual maturity. Listen, God is now wanting to do this. He's wanting, he's wanting, he's wanting to work in the lives of these five to conform them into the image of Christ. That's it. Hear me. Listen, I'll close in a moment. It's the reason children struggle when they get older if they're, as to whether they were really saved or not most likely goes back to this event and the failure of the parent and the people around them to disciple them and to help them grow. That's it. Hey, listen. Hey, listen. If Megan and Jeffrey are sitting down and they're saying, now, August, come on in here tonight. Now, listen, I know it can be a bedlam because I know what it's like. We had four. And your worship leader and that, that lawyer up there baptizing his son, they were the worst. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I, I could look at the girls, Amy and Emily, and just give them the, the stink eye, and they would act right. But the boys, you had to beat them within an inch of their life. I know what it is to try to do family devotion. Sit down, shut up. Now let's talk about Jesus and love. But let me tell you, it's worth it, right? You see, Paul said in Romans 8, you and I are being conformed into the image of Christ. Everybody look this way. Holiness hurts. We're in a fallen, sinful world, and there's a lot of times God says to me, he says, I'm not going to let you look at that. I'm not going to let you say that. I'm not going to let you watch that. I'm not going to let you listen to that. I'm not going to let you hang around with that. And a lot of times God, listen, that, that conviction inside of me is excruciating. But as I read my Bible, as I pray, as I allow godly men and women to shake, they are all in the process of conforming me into the image of Christ. My little grandson, August, is a, is a basketball player. And Jeffrey and Megan said, come watch him play basketball. We went to his first game, and he scored for the other team. I mean, you know, you go, uh, you're going the wrong... Turn around! You're going the wrong way! Whoop! And he turned around, man, he celebrated. 
But let me tell you, what you don't want is you don't want your sons and daughters to grow up and be serving the other team. I could have given you a picture of some of those faces as they look at you when they're being baptized. There's no way to even comprehend it. The last thing is tea. You know, a lot of times as parents, you think to yourself, you think, you know, God, it's uh, these are tough times. God, I'm scared, and I want everybody to listen to me. This world is in a mess like it has never been before. We've got a president almost picking a fight with the Soviets and with the Chinese right now. We've got an economy that is on borrowed time and people are predicting perhaps a recession beyond anything we could possibly imagine. 70% of world economists right now are warning us what's ahead. Our currency is under attack. The UN is divided and China will not come and vote against the Soviets, some of the other countries. Listen, we are in a mess. The talk is over and over again. Now we move troops to Taiwan. Because if China invades Taiwan, it's an act of war. Poland is trying to send trying to send our tanks into Ukraine, which requires our permission in the UN. This world is in a mess. We've had a pandemic. We have a vaccine that did not protect us at all, and yet was proof positive that there is a force working that is beyond anything we could possibly imagine. Pharmaceutical industry is a million. It's not a billion. It's becoming a trillion-dollar industry. We don't know who to believe about nothing anymore. But that T stands for trust because I trust the Lord with all my heart. I don't lean on my own understanding, but in all my ways I'll acknowledge Him and He will direct my path. Many times, we, you through, my, through years and years here, this is my example when I'm teaching Zachariah on Wednesday nights. You know what I say? Let this, I, people, people will verify this. I've been saying this for years. I said, let's say that China and Russia came together and they invaded the United States. Oh, by the way, did you notice the balloons going over all our military bases? And who's footing the bill for that? You don't think these are frightening times? World War III is like nothing we have ever faced. One Trident submarine has more firepower than the combined forces, all forces in World War II combined over a five-year period. We have the ability to remove humanity from the face of the earth if we want to. We have a pandemic that was engineered by man. And it doesn't have anything to do with Republican and Democrat. President Obama said, warned that this genetic engineering playing around with disease, he asked the Wuhan lab to stop it. The handling of the previous president, you don't think, you don't think something's going on? The reality is, my friend, we are living in very unstable times to raise children. And hear me, 
and you don't know what they face in the future. And if you don't give them a firm foundation in their faith, in a spiritual walk with Christ, you give them nothing should we find ourselves one day in a world war, world war three. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm simply telling you that we cannot forfeit our children on the world's altar. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I'll close with this. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 14 years old, was ripped out of Israel and taken to Babylon by an army. Nebuchadnezzar and his army wiped out the Jewish people, took the best and the brightest, and carried them to carried them all the way back to Babylon, began to indoctrinate them with their culture. But there were four young men, 14 years old probably, who stood their ground against the most powerful figure on the earth, and that was Nebuchadnezzar. And they said to Nebuchadnezzar, we won't bow down to your image, we won't do this, we won't do that. And listen, God kept them alive. God kept them alive. Daniel became second to Nebuchadnezzar. He became second in the, media, the Persian Empire. Listen, it doesn't matter if the Soviets, it doesn't matter if China invades this country, it doesn't matter what happens to this country. I believe this. I believe that all four of my children, all 16 of my children, my four in-laws will somehow be used by God to change the course of history. And I believe that question is do you believe it you want the best kid you want the best kid give them boundaries give them an example parent help God conform them sanctification conforming them into the image of Christ and then trust God you say well I, I'm worried I, I'm worried we live in such a you're scaring me pastor you don't think Amram and Jochebed were scared when Jochebed would sit there at night and she would weave that basket? You don't think she was frightened that day when she wrapped up that boy that the writer of Hebrews said was a beautiful boy? She wrapped him up. She took him and placed him into that basket. She took that basket and carried it down to the edge of the Nile and Amram and Jochebed. And, and, and she bent down there and she made sure that thing was worthy. It could hold. It wouldn't, it wouldn't leak. She coated it with pitumen, uh, bitumen. It's a tar, it's a pitch, the same thing Noah used on the ark. She took the same material that, Lo that Noah sealed the ark with. She sealed that little basket. She put that little boy in, that little baby, and he was crying. He didn't understand. And then she took that basket and she pushed it out through hands shaking and tears in her eyes and pushed it out in the current of the Nile River. Hippos and alligators, crocodiles, and all the threats that could come. And she said, oh my God, Jehovah God, Yahweh, watch over my boy. And then she said to Miriam, that sister, she said, Miriam, watch him and see what God will do with him. God raised him up to be one of the most powerful figures that ever walked the earth. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus, when he had his divine meeting there, it was Moses and Elijah that were standing there. You don't think God can watch your kids grow up? You trust God. You don't parent in fear. You parent in faith. You parent in faith. And one day when I'm old and I've said it, it may be a long time from now, 
brought up Bonnie a moment ago. Maybe one day I'm an old man. My dad's 93. It'll be 94 his birthday. I may live to be that old, and I may fall out in the in a Walmart somewhere, and they may ambulance may come and pick me up and take me to UMC University Medical Center, and I may be laying there, a 90-some-year-old man, scared to death. When all of a sudden they're trying to fill out the paperwork and I'm scared, Sheila's not there, none of my kids are there. And all of a sudden that white jacket, beautiful blonde-headed girl, that stethoscope around her neck comes down there, looks down, looks at the clipboard. Dr. Jeff Parker. She comes around there and says, Brother Jeff, you may not remember me, I'm Bonnie. I'm carrying Brittany's little girl. I'm right now in cardiology and uh, I got this. And then she leans down. She says, thank you for always being a pastor and loving my family and loving my sweet Aunt Courtney and my Uncle Brian. Thank you for all you did. And Brother Jeff, uh, I think I know what's wrong. We're going to take you up to the cath lab we're going to do whatever and I'll call mom and dad and I'll call the rest of the family and we'll make sure you're all right. You see I don't know that I saw Caroline a minute ago and I tell Eric and Sarah I don't know what Caroline will be I don't know I don't know what Junior will be Junior's a, Junior is something else uh, he just, that, that, that smile right there just makes me want to smile God has his hand on Junior God's doing something great in Junior's life in fact, I'd say this. I'd say Junior's one of the finest members we have in this church. And I mean that. You trust God. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to You. And Lord, we love You. And we give You the glory. And Lord, we ask You right now, as parents, as grandparents, as friends and family, and Lord, even for even for for all ages, whether it be a teenager, whether it be an adult, I, I feel like that. I, even, even to Miss Betty, I want to be the best pastor. I want to be an example. I want to be an encourager to her. As Sheila will often say, she will say, you know, Miss Betty's so classy. I just want to be a good example, whether it's a teenager, whether it's a child, whether it's an adult. But Lord, I pray today that for every parent, every grandparent, Every one of us here today that, Lord, the simple sermons can somehow, dear Lord, anytime we see the word best, we can begin to pray that prayer. God, help me to be firm in those boundaries. God, help me to be that example. God, help me to help you and the Holy Spirit as you're sanctifying and bringing my child to holiness. God, help me to trust you. God, help me not to parent in fear, but in faith. No matter what the world may look like, may I realize that, God, I'm not worried about tomorrow. You're already there. You're the I am. Lord, I pray if there's a man or a woman, boy or girl, who's not saved. They look at their life and they say, you know, Brother Jeff, I'm, I'm not saved. I, I need to do what those did today. I need to give my life to Christ. I need to be to repent of my sin and put my faith and trust in Jesus. And I've been putting that off and Today, I want to come and ask Jesus to come into my heart. Maybe for a lady to come and sit down here next to Sheila and say, Miss Sheila, I need you to pray with me. 
I don't know for certain. I want to know. There are others in this room that may need to come and recommit, rededicate their life and say, you know, God's spoken to me today. I, I came here and I wasn't even expecting that, but I've been wiping away tears and God's been dealing with my heart and I realize that I need to be a, I need to be a better mom, better dad, better grandmother, better grandfather. I, I need to be a better example, uncle and aunt. It's not about me. It's about those that you've entrusted into my care. And Lord, may we realize that God, that you want to do something great in our life. Let it begin today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus.